Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Adam Gell, an Akashic Record consultant, Reiki and Shamanic practitioner, and fellow YouTube content creator. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Nice to be here. Adam, if you don't mind, can we first start with your own experience with the Akashic Records? I guess throughout my, throughout my life, um, I've always been seeking um, information and trying to get probably the most information possible that wasn't just given to me by my parents or my friends, but it was went a little bit deeper. And I, I guess I was exploring somehow, not realizing it, the metaphysical metaphysical world. Um, as as I look back on my, on my life, I had certain experiences of like everyone goes through certain traumas. Um, probably, I'd say about uh, 15 years ago, when I was teaching, um, I noticed um, as I looked up at the vent at work that I was getting like a panic attack. Um, I had no recollection of anything that would resemble that type of, uh, of, of correlation between my real life and the life I was presently in of, of as, as, as a teacher. Um, as it progressed, um, I, de- I developed asthma. And then I was, I, was told to, um, I was told that I should see this healer. And as I went to the healer and on the telephone, he said to me, uh, you have asthma without me telling him. Um, and you're suffering from different other types of things. And um, if you want to come in, I'm here. So I visited him um, along the path of his personal healing with me. I was recognizing the fact that I was opening up to the energies of, 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 the, of the universe. Um, and as that was happening and I was um, growing um, energetically, um, I started reading books. Um, and one of the books I read was on the Akashic Records, um, One True Love uh, by Gabrielle Orr. Um, and as I read that book, um, I was recognizing the connection that I had or I was capable of having to receive information um, about either my present life, either past lives and probably future possibilities. Um, and then I myself learned how to access my own Akashic Records. But along with doing that, I had a reading. And one of the readings that I had was basically... Um, what my present situation was and somewhere in between of the past life and without me sharing any of my personal experiences like at school of, of the events, um, the woman had told me, um, she said that you had a past life in a concentration camp. Um, and I recognized the fact that I validated when I looked at a vent in the ceiling um, and I was suffering from these breathing problems, I was, in essence, the past coming to the surface. Um, Then she told me which specific concentration camp and what type of doctor I was, and it brought a memory up of not something specific, but it definitely brought up the energetic feeling of something that I can relate to. And I say that because initially I learned the German language in college where there was nobody taking German, 
Um, I came from a, a, a Jewish background on my mother's side. Uh, having gone to college and taking German, my grandparents, my, mother, my grandmother was Russian from World War II who came here, and she didn't understand why I was taking German based upon her past history of, of, of the Second World War. Um, nonetheless, I wound up studying German, and then the following year I met a German woman and I married her. I went back to Germany, went back to the university, and within five months I was speaking German fluently. Uh, as, as it progressed, my ex-wife, which she turned out to be, had family who were in the German army and the SS and all other types of uh, services from World War II. And somehow or another, I, I was, wasn't fascinated with what had taken place or their behavior, but fascinated the fact that I was in communication with something that was I wasn't aware of at that point. That was in 1987. Um, as the years progressed, um, I... I I buried that emotion until I brought the Akashic Records came up, as I discussed earlier. And then all of these thoughts, when the woman had said that to me, were somehow piecing together some type of a past that I was feeling, along with the fact of feeling paranoid uh, about certain things, about being found or followed or everything else that would correlate to, I guess, a World War II experience of, 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 of a soldier who was on the run, possibly. Um, and then what in, in, inadvertently what happened was I continued on with getting readings and people were telling me that they, actually I went to a psychic workshop and in the psychic workshop, the, the, the teacher was lighting incense and the smoke from the incense, I told her, can you please put that out? And the person next to me said, it's not from this life, it's from the past life that you just experienced. So it was fascinating to me to hear somebody actually pull that out. And the person said to me, calm down, it's not going to be bad, it's nothing, it's going to harm you. And so I just kind of like was like coasting and trying to relax from that experience. Um, skip over a, f a few years later, I was learning, I was giving Akashic Record readings and also doing healing work and Reiki work. And I had a client and one of the clients who I was working on in the midst of the Reiki session stood up from the chair, <clears throat> you know, via Zoom and said, I remember you from the concentration camps. Uh, and, and then it spiraled into actually having the person do a reading for me and I do a reading for myself asking where I was from and I had the same answer of where, what I received as this, this person received for me, that I was from Berlin and I, I did a reading on my, myself, and the person did a reading for me and said you were from Berlin, and you were transported to the camps as a doctor. Um, and then I contacted, actually, the, the, the Berlin hospital to see the names of the Jewish uh, doctors that were taken um, to the camps and who was exterminated or who was left over. And from the original reading from the person who had the records, they said they, 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 I, was, I was killed. And it very interesting. And skip ahead now to this a few months ago, I was had an interview with someone, and the people I were interviewing said, I think somebody's gonna know you. And I said, Okay. So I get an email from a woman who, who writes me, and she says, I remember you, you pulled me off the line in Auschwitz. And uh, I was like thrown off, but I was in, intrigued as this was progressing. And, and the, the feeling that, that actually came about was 
as I uncovered all this information, some, most of the physical symptoms were, were falling away. The, 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 the breathing problems, the, the other types of uh, emotional traumas and, and, and things attached to this, um, the shame, actually my fear of visiting doctors. So for example, when I went to a doctor over the last 10 years, I was paranoid from the doctor. I didn't trust the doctor. I almost felt like I was going to be taken away and not being released. Well, you have an amazing story, and um, have you ever considered past life regression? Well, I have. Uh, I've not, I haven't had past life regression. I actually am afraid in some capacity to actually delve into the, the true feeling of it, but I'm close to doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, you, I've, I've, I've spoken to uh, Robert Schwartz and other people who uh, do transgressions, but uh, I think I'll be on that path. You mentioned that you're able to access the Akashic Records yourself. Can you tell us how you do that? The Akashic Records is, is an energy that is uh, accessible through a specific prayer. Um, it is in the eighth chakra. It's a connection from the eighth chakra to the soul, soul plane, the, the plane where our, our soul knows all and receives all uh, from the Akasha, which is the uh, fifth element in uh, Sankrit or um, uh, sacred energy it's you know water fire uh, water fire um, air and you have uh, ether which is which is every the space filled in between everything and when you're doing a reading you access it with, with a specific prayer and that prayer raises your energy vibration to a place where you're able to receive information bringing it down from the um, astral plane to the eighth chakra and into your into your crown chakra and that information uh, that I receive is usually in, this, in, in, in a voice I hear and also in holographic images that, I, that I'm, I'm receiving. So basically that prayer is raising your energy vibration and that energy vibration puts you at a frequency where you're able to um, access information that um, exists in your spiritual growth, your healing, and, uh, and, and wisdom. Do you teach that prayer or can you tell our listeners where they can learn that prayer? That prayer um, is accessible. Um, I can share it um, in, the, in the link below, um, but it's also accessible in various books. Um, Gabriel Orr, Ernesto Ortiz, uh, uh, fabulous teachers of, of the Akashic Records. Um, in terms of the prayer itself, it comes from a, uh, a Mayan, a Mayan elder who passed it on to a person who had a vision of this woman in Mexico and actually was dreaming about the woman passing the information down. And actually when the man went to Mexico, he received this information from the woman that he dreamed about and told her, he, she told him, I've been waiting for you to pass the information down. So it, it initially was written in a Mayan, Mayan language and then it was translated into Spanish and then from Spanish into English. Being Jewish, have you studied the Kabbalah at all? I would say that I haven't studied it specifically, but I, I, know, a, I know a little bit about it. I use a lot of the, uh, the prayer, prayers to, uh, to open up the energy connection to a person. I've had many NDE guests, and a handful of them have talked about a place. I don't know if they actually call it the Akashic Records. Some probably do, but they describe a place that's kind of Romanesque looking with books and like a library. Does any of that make any sense to you? Well, 
I mean, I've I've heard of people calling it the library, the book, the, the library of uh, of energy of the book. It's actually the book of life, the the, the place where we we well, everything that we've done and recorded is 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 put in, into a into a book of life of our of our own journey, of the energy, the thoughts, and everything that we've accrued. Almost as if, like, when you throw a rock into the water and the the ripple effect of energy that that takes place, it keeps going infinitely. We don't see the complete last wave, but it's moving. Um, so I don't see a specific library, although many people do see a library. I'm basically hearing information and seeing information, uh, whatever's permitted to be passed on to me, that my soul is able to absorb or take in and digest. And and the same holds true for other people as well. Whatever that person is able to um, to hear at the moment in a loving, unconditional way, then the, the information will be passed down. But yeah, many people call it the the library, the library of a person's journey of of the universe, the library of the universe where everything is recorded and and, and placed. Do you think science validates the Akashic records? Well, yeah, um, I think Irvin Laszlo, who in two thousand four, two thousand five, who is uh, voted for the Nobel Peace Prize, was was a candidate for the Nobel Peace Prize. He speaks about the interconnectedness of that A field, the Akashic field which is the space in between where nothing really looks like this space. And, let, and that matter, which appears solid, is actually just light, right? It's a little light, energy, energetic light. Um, so in a re- and, and they also confirmed, like Albert Einstein confirmed, that the, the emotions, uh, the human emotions, uh, will somehow affect the quantum field. So yes, so... Science has validated in, 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 in different ways, um, just not in terms of looking at it from the, from the metaphysical standpoint. You said that the information from the Akashic Records comes to you as a voice as well as you have holographic visions, I believe. Is the voice the voice of your higher self or do you think it's of your guardian angel or a spirit guide? I hear a voice from a woman speaking, and I've heard other voices specifically. I've heard actually, um, which is interesting, maybe a few years ago, I heard a voice from Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, as I found out, was born, is born on the same birth date as myself. I just happened to look up Ezekiel. And I, and I see July 23rd, which is my birthday. And I and I and I was very fascinated because I heard heard a man's voice almost like in a in a in a very echoing voice. So I hear I heard that and I hear a specific person speak in a very soft way, or or the energy is interpreted through that voice to me, or I'm I'm downloading the energy into a into a uh, vocal uh, stimuli that I that I take in. But for the most part, the, 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 the information that I receive is basically a download of a picture or an image. And, and that is what I'm passing on to other people. It's a little bit, it's a little bit more difficult, I, from my perspective, from doing, reading, doing the reading for ourselves or for myself. Because many times the ego gets in the way and we try to influence the, the information that we either want to hear or don't want to hear. But when we do it for someone else, when there's neutrality involved, we're more open. And it's much easier for me and I know for other people to then pass on that information without any um, interference. Now, when you're saying Ezekiel, are you referring to the Ezekiel from the Bible? Yes, I am. Hmm. 
Whenever I hear Ezekiel, I think of the beginning of Ezekiel when he describes the wheels within a wheels and the and the thing that to me sounds like a spaceship. Yes, 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 yes. I also read about that, which is very interesting, mm-hmm. very I, fascinating. Have you had any encounters with UFOs? I have, actually. Well, I haven't had encounters with uh, uh, specific uh, alien alien beings per se. Um, but I did actually last year, um, I have a few friends who have, um, podcasts and every time we communicate in the background, there'll be some, some light flying overhead in the mm-hmm. afternoon. And last summer I was on the beach, um, here in New Jersey and, uh, having my interest in communicating with the various people and, uh, who are interested in UFOs and, um, the cosmic universe itself. Uh, there was a what appeared to be maybe about two, 300 feet off the ground in the air looked like a, a birthday balloon, silver birthday balloon. But then I realized that it started to zigzag. And then as I watched it, it just took off and went above the clouds. And uh, as I sat there watching this, I, I was with my girlfriend. I said, look over there. And nobody would have seen it because nobody was looking up, up, up at the sky. But I'm con- I was con- constantly surveying the situation. Uh, recently, probably about four months ago, I was driving on the turnpike here in New Jersey and about three, 400 feet above my car was a blue like roaming candle that turned into like flashing blue light. Um, and I said, look up. And all of a sudden, boom, it just took, it just exploded like a, like a firework in the middle of winter uh, on the parkway. And, uh, I kind of, I didn't scoff it off at all because I, I'm very fascinated and I, I took took heat and interest in, in, in seeing this. So I do feel I, I, I do feel a connection to, um, to to that subject. Yes. So how did you end up becoming a Reiki and shamanic practitioner? First off, through the the visiting um, one of the healers that I saw initially when I sat there and uh, he assessed my my aura. Um, he said to me, you can do the work that I'm doing. And I always felt my hands were highly energized. Um, I always felt um, my heart chakra was in, in, a, in a position of either opening or closing in terms of not understanding what that actually meant. But as I progressed visiting this healer, um, I was myself becoming more psychic, more intuitive, and also my hands were highly energized. And so what he was doing to me as a practitioner, I recognized that I was able to eventually do and help other people as well. Um, but then I wound up taking Reiki classes it, itself, being certified, and then actually working more at a distance than in person and um, finding that it was successful, um, which led to me investigating or learning more about the shamanic um, practices. And so I studied under uh, Itzhak Barry. Um, in New York City, um, visited many of the workshops, a lot of classes, learned all the different types of techniques, Olympia, and uh, I incorporated um, the, the, the techniques of removing energy in a way that was um, not more palpable, but more understandable maybe to a client in some way of using feathers and using an egg and using different techniques of clearing out the energy body um, and then incorporating fresh new energy into a person as well as doing readings. So over a course of, I'd say like 10 years, I incorporated the Reiki and I incorporated the shamanic work, which I found to be very helpful um, and, uh, and useful in incorporating that along with, along with the Reiki. 
you mentioned working with an egg, and I think it's called La Limpia. Can you tell us more about what that is? Well, be it that eggs have, are very porous, they have the ability to to absorb energies um, from from the human body. In fact, in, in some cases, if you take an, if you if a person is is under a lot of stress or there's a high amount of energy in a specific chakra or area of the body, the egg could actually crack, and it's happened actually with myself using an egg over my own body. Um, so the egg, the egg is, has thousands of pores, and what it does is when it rolls over the skin, the energy that is accumulated in the chakra area or in the energetic body is absorbed by the egg. And that egg is then, after, it, after you run it through different parts of the body, starting off at the, the, the crown and working the head, the face, down the arms, the chest, chakras, the back, and down the legs, you can crack the egg open at the very end and you can see any um, um, variations in what a normal egg would look like. In fact, the egg becomes sometimes heavier than what it was when you initially started using the egg. And it builds up a lot of, a lot of energy. If sometimes even eggs turn black from, from a person's energy. So wow. the, the, the egg is, is, is a, is a pow, powerful indicator. I wouldn't say that I'm a good reader of the egg itself, but I'm, I'm certainly able to clear out the energy with the egg. I mean, the egg is doing the work. It's a matter of using it as a tool to remove excess energy or negative energy that's, that's accumulating. I guess you basically just have the person lie on their stomach. Yeah, you can, right, you can have a person lie on the stomach. But for the most part, since it, it one technique turns into the next of clearing out the energies with, uh, um, with a leaf, um, basically, sometimes you stand up, but if a person's not uncomfortable standing up, then the person, as you said, can lie down. Yeah. Are you actually making the egg contact their skin or just getting it near them? Uh, preferably on the skin. Yes. Hmm. The closer to the, the source of the energy, the better, better off it is. Now, naturally, we have energy around our body. So you would, you would, you would think that because it's an, an object that could absorb it would be able to absorb energy. But for the most part, the technique is, is running the egg over the, over the skin. And so you've cracked them open before afterwards and seen the egg turn black? I per- haven't seen it turn black, no. But I've had eggs crack and open energetically. Mm. Yes. Just I know people who, who, have, who have seen that. What is the strangest thing you've seen as far as the change in the egg? I was able to actually read the diagnose the, the the shape of the yolk and the uh, the shape of the yolk and its connection um, to the other other aspects of the egg itself the egg white the you know so in, basically there are strings attached in certain cases and the length of the string or the size of the of, of the connections so as I did a reading for somebody having cracked the egg open, I saw that there was a connection somehow intuitively that came through by diagnosing the egg as a, a problem with a brother. And so I'm sure enough, I passed it on and the person said, I am, I'm having a, a tough time with my brother. Hmm. So the egg gave that in, in, information to me in, in an intuitive way as, hmm. a, as any tool would be, you know, a divination tool. Can you tell us about your fingerprint reading? Our fingerprints are our trademark. Nobody has the same finger fingerprint. Uh, we, we, we share nothing. Nobody shares the same fingerprint on this earth. We may have the different styles of fingerprints, like a whirl, a loop, arch, tented arches. 
um, but our 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 fingerprint is solely our our identity, and it is our um, passport to finding what our true purpose or sole purpose in this life is. And a, 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 a fingerprint reading will will reveal the different types of schools that a person belongs to, or the lessons that a person will go through. So, for example, if a person is in the school of of service. School of service is when a person is always the victim in every circumstance. Um, and as they progress through this, there'll be people will take advantage of them. They'll suffer a lot of emotional and physical uh, um, problems through their life. And they, as they progress, they keep saying, why me, why me, why me? And further, further victimizing themselves with that mindset. Um, but as they progress and if they choose to grow or, or they're on the path of, of awakening, then that suffering will turn into serving others and actually enjoying helping others. Hence, a person would become a healer. A person would become a, um, a person who assists others like a psychologist or anything in a health-related field where they're helping other people. Um, for example, there's a school of, of uh, peace school of peace where the hands reveal that a person can't sit still or a person cannot chooses not to commit themselves to um, allowing them to just think or feel so usually when a person is traumatized at a young age, young age they want to be on the run consistently and they want to uh, not hand not deal with the, the the fear that 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 trauma brings up and I mean we all go through trauma but the, this type of person or the person's, who finger, person's fingerprints who reveal the school of, of peace will have to try to learn to sit with themselves. And so they'll be in situations that will constantly be, be chaotic or they'll create chaos so that they don't have to feel what they want, what they don't want to feel, which is eventually turning into peace or feeling peace. Do you look at all the fingers or just a certain finger? All 10 fingerprints, we have dominant uh, prints and we have less dominant prints. And the most, pro, the, the most dominant print will dictate what school the person or what lessons the person will go through in order to find their sole purpose. Do you just have them ink up their fingers and put their prints on paper and then you analyze them? I have them put their, yes, their 10 fingerprints on, 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 on paper, they ink them up, and then I read them. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. And there's assessments, you know, you have, you have the school of not good enough. Um, you have all different types of schools where we all guilt in the family, um, which we all go, all have these different types of things, but to some people to a greater or lesser extent. And the fingerprints kind of reveal that. So it's a very interesting tool to actually help a person find their soul's purpose and so that they don't turn their suffering that they're going through or whatever chaos that they create into victimization, but more so as a, as the stepping stone towards becoming more in, in, enlightened and, and growing emotionally. I've never thought that much about fingerprints. Do you know at what age a fingerprint becomes permanent on someone? That I do not. I do not. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, if it, is it at birth or is it at a certain time in their life that it's changing and then becomes permanent? I, I do know that some people's fingerprints don't really show up too well. And I've always kind of thought about a little bit about how maybe it's almost a way of 
not hiding a person's identity, but almost not really wanting to be revealed. Um, hmm. You know, our fingerprints are our trademark of who we are. And, you know, some people say using different detergents or different harsh chemicals can ruin the, the, the fingerprint. But then again, there are people, you know, whose fingerprints aren't damaged by that. I mean, of course, it could be individually, but to some extent, maybe it's a way of uh, hiding an identity. Can you tell us about the pendulum healing that you do? Well, the pendulum is, is a great divination tool um, that I use when I um, do distance Reiki. Um, I find energetically that it somehow has a, a, a profound and positive effect on, on shifting energy whether in person or at a distance, specifically in person and in, at a distance, you can, it can help assist in, in actual medical intuition of finding places in the body that are either positively charged or negatively charged or in terms of open or closed and where there is a, uh, a deficit or, or, or a possible issue um, that would ensue from, from the pendulum. Um, the pendulum um, becomes a tool of, of a personal tool um, that gives the person um, the ability for the unconscious minds to come through in a way that allows a person to not interfere with what, the, what information is being presented. Are you using it kind of like muscle testing or applied kinesiology? I don't do any of that, but I use the pendulum for those, for, for those specific, uh, yeah. I find it very powerful. I find it a very powerful tool. It assists with allowing the, as I said before, to the, the unconscious to, to release without us interfering with, with it. Before the podcast, you mentioned that you help men with their masculinity, I believe. Can you tell us more about that? When I say help, help them with their masculinity, um, I would define that as we grow up in a society where we have to first question who our role models are. You know, when we, when we look at, at, at our fathers, our grandfathers, the people in our lives as, as men, we sometimes uh, didn't receive maybe the, the, the right message or the right role model in terms of what we, at, well, at the point of inception, we, we, we didn't know what the proper role model is. But as we grow up, we have a, a, have a better idea of what we wanted to receive and what we did receive or didn't receive, and so I find that a lot of a lot of men, um, as they as they um, as they mature or, or grow up or, or, or attempt to grow up, um, the we they fall, we fall back on what those role models or who those role models were without ever questioning or ever looking in deeper or, or, or understanding how they impacted our lives, the inability for certain people to to speak their their feelings. Um, to just focus in on materialism, who has the bigger house, who has the bigger car, who has to earn the most money. It's interesting. I spoke to my, my cousin a few, about a few months ago, and we're the same age. And as a person, as myself, is trying to, to grow, um, you, you sometimes think that people are on the same path, but obviously, obviously people are not, um, which is not a judgment, but it just so happens to be that way. And I had said to him, how's your friend doing? And he said to me, who was a doctor? And he said, oh, he's doing, he's, 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 I don't know. He has all the cars in the world. He's got the biggest houses and he's still unhappy. Mm -hmm. So when I heard that, I said to myself, 
how shallow and how uh, deprived many men are at the fact that they refuse to reveal the softer parts of themselves, the parts that would actually help them expand and grow. And that part is the is the is the almost the the feminine part of wisdom, the sensitivity that we need to incorporate to balance ourselves so that we are balanced and that we can relate to everyone. We can understand more things than we do. And when times are hard, not focus in on the materialism and not expand upon that or try to get out of ourselves, but more go inward and sit with ourselves. So my goal is to assist men to find who the role models were and to try to rewrite the story by, first of all, understanding their story from the past and then changing it or shifting it to a more balanced masculine, Hmm. incorporating both the left parts of the brain and the right parts of the brain. Are you saying that you're trying to balance each side of the brain with each other? No, well, it's it's more or less the fact that I'm trying to make men aware of of the all parts of, of, of themselves. And if they're comfortable accepting that, then so be it. And if not, then, you know, that's it. Do you think in modern times men have become less masculine? On an, on an, in, an individual basis, I think that there is, each person is obviously different. So you, you can't, I can't categorize people. Um, I can speak from my own experience. Um, I could I could speak from growing up in a home where my father surrendered his. When I say masculinity, he surrendered the decision making part of his own identity, and surrendered it to my mother. Let's say, um, and while it might have worked or it may work, um, as a child growing up in that, I felt a little bit deprived of somebody assisting in in the parenting and being present and making decisions and everybody's capable of making decisions right and man and women in, in a relationship right whatever whatever the relationship is it just it so happened to be that that was my example of something that impacted me in terms of having a harder time myself of making decisions um, as well as um, realizing that i needed to not overcompensate by being overly aggressive but balancing my own personal energies. And by going into the intuitive mind, that stimulated stimulated my sensitivity because I knew I was a more sensitive type of person and it balanced me out. And I recognized if that's possible in me, then I'm possible in other people as well. You would think in a marriage, the decision-making should be shared equally, right? Well, if, if that's one of the things that stood out to me, it was... For me, for example, if we went to a baseball game, I, I say, Dad, you, well, we're going to the game. She goes, Mom is coming along as well. So I said, but Mom's not interested. I was a little kid. I said, Mom's not interested, but she has to come. So I saw my, I saw my father not having the ability to be independent. Independent. That's what, that was probably the thing. I felt that he was codependent on my mother. And that was my example of a relationship was codependency. So I looked at relationships that were any type anything that mirrored codependency or was overly uh, dysfunctional or was on the border of being dysfunctional, I wanted no part of it. But yet, I also chose that same pattern myself. I kind of feel that it's important for us to find out 
find to to delve deeper into ourselves if we have the courage to do so and to rewrite the stories that we were programmed with as children and you know to 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 at least be open to that so that this way we have a more open we're more open minded to everybody in reading about you you're also a documentary filmmaker can you tell us about that yeah so I guess my documentary filmmaking began in, in correlation to my interest and my um, my interest and my professional photography um, hobby, where I sell photos. Um, but the fact is, is that since I was able to operate a, a photo camera, I said to myself, "Well, the portability of using uh, a video camera is, is is very easy. It's much easier than it had been. Um, used to have the the camcorder and so on and so forth. Um, but the the real energy behind me becoming a documentary filmmaker was the fact that I had such a strong relationship with my grandmother. Um, and growing up in Brooklyn when I was about seven years of age, um, and when I had conflicts in my house um, with my father and my mother, my sol- solace and my saving grace was running to my grandmother who lived about a block and a half away. And uh, as, I, as I ran up the steps, I'd smell her soup and I'd smell her food and I'd sit down on her, at a kitchen table and she would take out her photo albums. Um, and as I sat there, I was realizing that I really was maybe 20% interested and 80% looking for her comfort. Mm. Um, but as the years went on and I sat at her kitchen table, it turned into maybe 10% of interest in eating and 90% interest in her photo albums. Mm. And as I looked at her photo albums, um, she would open them up to me and show me these pictures of people from a faraway place with far hats and felt boots and snowy scenes. And I was intrigued by it because it was not only an interest of mine to see these photos, but it was also a great escape from the, my reality of being at home. And as she turned the pages on these photos, everyone had like a saddened look, a very hardened face. Um, and uh, one photo stood out was a was a soldier in a in a military uniform. And I was seven years old, and I took interest in it because I was interested in war and all that other stuff as a kid. And I said to my grandmother, "Who is that?" And she said, "That's your grandfather." And I said. She was at the kitchen sink, and I remember that she didn't really address it, but it didn't look like the grandfather that I knew, who lived with her, that I called Papa Nat, Noel. And uh, from there, I went home, um, and I asked my father, I said, Dad, your father's a soldier? And he said, leave me alone with that subject. I don't want to talk about it. And this was, I was like seven or eight, I remember. And it just progressed into that. And then as the years went on, I go into that photo album she had it hidden not hidden she had a drawer of all her photos but there was each level of the drawers was a certain decade of her life and the the war years and the, this this specific photo album she showed me was at the base of her, her wardrobe or her, her uh, dresser i took it out and i'd open up the photo albums and constantly look at this person as the years went by um, I always was re- reflecting back on that photo album. My grandmother told me that was her first husband who died during World War II. He was a political officer, a Russian soldier on the, on the front and was killed um, in battle. And she visited him for the last time in a village, um, having had my father already who was born. And uh, he died within, within two months. And that was the last she heard of him. Hmm. Skip 20 years later, um, as I'm going through a divorce and I'm finding it hard to connect to my children through the divorce, um, and it just got harder and harder to g- g- gain contact with them, I felt a sense of loss 
And something in my memory brought me back to that photo album as a 30, 40 year old. Um, my grandmother had passed away. I went in my mother's basement. I opened up the photo album. I looked at the photo and I said, something in this person, I resonate something with what this person's feeling. Um, he died. He, nobody remembers him. My father didn't want to talk about him. And yet he's a father to my father. And I said something, I have to bring his memory back into the family. Um, I didn't know much about him. All I had was one photo. And my grandmother had all her photo albums, which my, I told my mother to keep in her basement. And all of a sudden, I, I was digging through all of the photos, and I came across a diary. And the diary, diary was written in an indigenous language called um, Komi. So my grandmother lived in the northern part of Russia, which was an indigenous part of, part of Russia, but it was part of, of the Komi Republic which they had their own language, but used Cyrillic letters. So the diary was written with Cyrillic letters, but when I brought it to work to have, ask somebody if they could translate it, they told me, this is not Russian. This is a different language. So what I did was, this was maybe 12 years ago, I wrote a letter to one of the family members in my grandmother's pile of letters. I just took an address, wrote a letter, translated it with a Google translator, and within about two months, I got a response back saying, I am the niece of your grandmother, and I understand these, these diaries. This is written on our native language. Mm. To make a long story short, she translated with a heart condition, as I found out later at 80 years old, who really couldn't write anymore. She translated about 40 pages of diary entries into the Russian alphabet letter, letters. And then I had them translated with a friend here who then translated all the diaries to me on paper. And when I read everything, and it was amazing. I, I, it was the pre-war years when Hitler attacked, my grandfather leaving for war. She describing some of the stories that she told me at the kitchen table were in her diary and with photos. And what I did was I said, I have to find this person where he was killed, who he was, and I have to bring him back not only for my sake, but for my grandmother's sake, but also for my father's suffering that he endured not not talking about this so i contacted the archives uh, with the name the full name of who he was and within about two about a month i received an email stating where my grandfather was killed what division he fought in and um his papers and you know his his regiment and so on and so forth i made a friend at the archives in russia it's about 10 years ago and I told them that I'd like to come to Russia to find my, where my grandfather is buried. And uh, they did some research, and they found out that he was in a mass grave on, uh, in, in a village west of Moscow, three hours west of Moscow. And I said, I'd like to come visit. And also, I'd like to know if there's family that exists. Well, sure enough, they put up a whole uh, webpage on, on this military site for, you know, for fallen soldiers from the Second World War. And within a week or two, the whole family from my father's family real biological family cousins and everyone responded and they they couldn't believe that after 70 years a grandson of this soldier had found the family and i found his grave to make a long story short i was taken um up the mill up the highway by a, a personal driver who we hired and they took me to his grave so i had the opportunity to lay a flower down on his mass grave with his name um, which is actually Turobanov, which is the biological name that was changed over by my step-grandfather. And I was able to honor his soul. 
And uh, they did newspaper articles um, in, across the, the region. Um, it was in, in different venues in, in, in northern, northern Russia. And when I came to the village and I wound up going to the, to the village, my grandfather was actually a school teacher, like myself. One of his students was still alive. And she was in her 80s. And when I came to the village, they said, who is he? Meaning me. They said, he's the, he's the grandson of Nikolai Turobanov, the school teacher. And the woman couldn't believe it. She said, he was my school teacher. And we sat, I video filmed her. Mm-hmm. And she said he was one of the most pleasant teachers. He was very athletic and all the kids loved him. And then he was sent to a war within a few weeks and we never saw him again. And I found the house where he lived with my grandmother and my father. And I also found other, other remnants there of the whole history. And to me, it was... I, so I put together the documentary film, which played in the film festivals uh, across uh, New York and different uh, venues um, in the area. And uh, it was, uh, it was a, a, a very good completion towards understanding my past and understanding my father's suffering and his, the unspoken words that he never really shared with me but he actually was comforted by this and he became very emotional over the, the following years from that. Hmm. That must have been very healing for him. It was healing for him and it was healing for me because, yeah, it was more healing for him, but I was actually happy that I was able to piece together to bring back someone and I just thought it was essential for this to take place, for, to, to heal the generations and to understand the generations. If we want to watch that, is that available online? It, I have it on Vimeo. I'm going to make it accessible, and I will. Sh- I will. I'll talk to you how of how I'll share it. Once you do, just give me a link, and I can put it in the description of the video. Absolutely. And, and speaking of videos, you are also a YouTube content creator, as I mentioned before. What is the name of your YouTube channel? My YouTube channel is Conversations with Adam Gell and Inspiring Minds. What kind of content do you produce? It's usually on the subject of, uh, of, of inspiring minds who, who deal with the subjects of in, enlightening um, and the subjects of uh, near-death experiences, past lives, um, UFO, aliens, um, anything that's inspiring if it's related to sports or something that's, that's awakening that helps us understand ourselves better and helps us delve deeper into our own, um, our own growing or growth. Or stagnation. Would you say that prior to your, I would call it maybe a dark night of a soul, but when you first started having this, your panic attacks, which kind of set you down the path that you are today, were you a spiritual person? No, I, I, I would say that I wasn't a spiritual. I wasn't. First of all, I didn't grow up in a religious home, which would have set me on a path of understanding or detracting from religion or any type of form of uh, understanding anything above. Um, no. So I, w- I would say that my dark night of the soul is what opened me up and, and expanded my level of consciousness and understanding that there is more than meets the eye and there is there are things that we don't see that exist. After watching the podcast today, people may want to reach out to you and chit chat with you or ask you questions. Are you open to that? And should they contact you on YouTube or somewhere else? They can contact me on YouTube. That would be a good place. What is the name of your website? AdamGellUniversalHealing.com. All right, great. All right, Adam. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? I would say that we're all here uh, on a path to have um, our own personal experience. And while we, um, and 
with that said, it, it's, it's really our responsibility, I feel, to try to have us, we, we need to raise our level of, of consciousness to try to expand ourselves so that we become um, more aware of how we can become better human beings on this planet. Um, we really can't change other people. I think the change begins with, with ourselves. And when we work on ourselves and we challenge ourselves and we step out of victim, victimhood or victimization, we have the ability to really create a, a true expansion and a true growth for, for the human race by each person taking one step in a positive direction for themselves. So I'd like to leave the audience with, with that note. Adam, thank you for that message and thank you for being my guest today. I wish you the best and have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.